All right, y'all, we ready? You ready? All right, start the countdown. everybody it is i the homie the one and only ashton reynolds and i welcome you to season two of the be the change podcast where i sit and converse with individuals who have taken the initiative to make change by being the change themselves so you know they changed their own lives and have impacted other lives that was attached to their purpose as you can see my llc blessed coast is above me blessed coast where is that it's in the presence of the lord so you know the blessed side be the best side straight up people you are in for a treat this episode i am conversing with a legend people i'm talking about a living legend and i've got to say this now to go ahead and give him his roses before we get this interview started i'm talking about this brother here is a visionary he is the one who has helped impact and enhance the careers of many entertainers that you see today that are on in the film industry, such as Martin Lawrence, you know the names like Chris Tucker, Bernie Mac, you know what I'm saying? Those are just a few names as he is a co-creator of the Def Comedy Jam. Also, he is the executive producer and laugh of Laugh Mob. Got a new show on there called Laugh Tracks, Laugh Mobs, Laugh Tracks. So people, that's just a little bit of his credentials because I'm about to bring a man right now. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you the incredible Bob Sumner. How you doing, sir? Hey, man, what's going on? What's going on? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Here we are, finally, right? I know, right? (laughs) Finally. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You you know, you're such a cool guy. But they told me that I was going to be interviewed by Ashton. I automatically thought they meant Ashton Kutcher. Oh you're man, you're asking riddles. <laughs> what's up with that, man? All right. Hey, they told hey. me, that, you know, but it's all good. It's all yes, good. Sir. Hey, yes, black, sir. Lives, black lives matter. Exactly. <laughs> um, I feel real good. Exactly. Hey, I feel good too. Thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. So, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. I always ask all of my guests this question. So, they can answer this question here in the fullest capacity possible. Despite all the accolades, despite all of the work that you have done, who is Bob Sumner in your own words? You know, it's it's real interesting that you would even say who is Bob Sumner because for the past like four years, we've been trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason I say that is uh, a great friend of mine, Jeff Billingsley, has taken the reins to uh, produce a documentary based on me. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And, and, and the working title right now is The Birth of Death, D-E-F. Who is Bob Sumner? Wow. You know, and uh, Jeff Friday, who's the executive producer and founder of the American Black Film Festival, 
ABFF, we're um, actually getting ready to kick off the uh, ABFF Comedy Festival. You know, we get ready to take a, a whole nother page as we get into this restart. And um, Jeff, years ago, Jeff said, Bob, we need to really uh, figure something out in terms of people need to know who is Bob Sumner, you know? And it, it's crazy because Bob Sumner is somebody that is all about love. You know, at the end of the day, I'm all about love. That's how I was raised. I was raised, my godfather said years ago, Bobby, you could walk with kings and queens, but don't you ever lose the common touch. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And my second grade teacher, who was a black woman in 1968, when Martin Luther King and uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated, she instilled in me what being a leader, Edith Maynard was her name. She instilled in me what being a leader was all about and I have led ever since. So Bob Sumner is a loving leader. That's mm. who I am, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And wow. in terms of the accolades and everything, you know, there's a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. And I'm really just a soldier in his army. You know, mm. I had a situation happen to me back in 05 that, you know, I used to always hear about God. You know, I, I knew who he was, but I didn't really grasp who he is. You know what I mean? And right. I had a situation that led me to where I really needed him to be there for me. And he's been there with me. He was there with me before. But now I have really accepted my Lord and Savior to a point where every morning and every night I'm feeling good. 6.15 in the morning, I'm listening to a great friend of mine. His name is Overseer Ernest Vaughn, and he does a prayer service every morning. I've been on it for the past four years since he started, and I'm mm. smiling. And when I look at the um, pandemic and what it has done to everybody, I, uh -huh. know that there's a, I know that there's a better day. I know that there's a better day ahead. And I know in, in, in the business of comedy, it will be because I'm gonna be honest with you, with comedy, we needed a reset. This is how, this is the only reason you and I are connecting is because mm -hmm. of the reset, you dig? Right. So, you know, again, Bob Sumner is somebody that I'm a connector. I, as of last night, I, I done connected a situation with Atlanta. You heard me? Yes, one, of my, one of my best friends moved down there from Jersey and opened up a sports bar and he's getting ready to do some comedy down there. He wanted to do some comedy and he called me last night and said, Bob, I'm at this place and there's a guy on stage right now named Marcus Combs. Do you know him? I've said, heard of his name. I said, I said, I said, do I know him? I said, when he get off the stage, put him on the phone because that's who's going to be your host. We get ready to get busy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. This is this is what we do, you know, and this is who I am. So, you know, we'll we'll continue and you'll see who I am as we continue this conversation, I'm sure. But the one thing I can say to you, which made me real comfortable with you, Ashton. Mm -hmm is that you said con converse and not conversate. 
See, I see already that you have some education behind you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, it's the little things. It's the little things that go a long way. Yes, sir. So let's converse, bro. Let's do this. <laughs> yes, sir. And first of all, before we even go to the next topic, I just got to say, wow. I'm just so thankful to the Heavenly Father that he revealed himself to you in the way that he did so you can understand fully of how magnificent he is as you continue to be that loving leader because it takes a special person to be a loving leader, somebody who leaves with love at his foundation to make sure that everybody around you is succeeding in their fullest capacity possible. Because I know for a fact that being a loving leader, you know, you can lead, but you, you know, once you lead them to the opportunity, it is up for, to them to take that opportunity. But because of the fact that you love them, you presented that opportunity to them. And for that, sir, I say thank you for answering that calling on your life. Yeah, man, because I, I look at it as being I'm more of a, of, a, of a captain. You know what I mean? I'm mm -hmm. the captain of the team. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not trying to be the boss. Mm. You know, the boss, the boss is looked at a little different than the captain. Yes, sir. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I'm into sports heavily. So that's what oh, yeah. you know, I I ain't I don't have to own the team. I, right. I don't have to own the team, but I want to win some chips. You did? Oh yeah. <laughs> so you said she win the sports heavily. Yeah. Um how you like in the Nets? I know they moved from your home state of New Jersey to Brooklyn and they balling uh, out. I mean, again, again, when it comes to sports, I'm 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 universally sound. Okay. okay? So I, I like I like the games more than like I have my teams and yes, I'm sir. a diehard with my team. Like I still my favorite team in football is still the squad that I had in electric football when I was a kid, electric football. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, Hey, it is what it is. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Raider fan. I'm a Raider okay. fan. Whether it's, whether it's Oakland, LA, Vegas, I'm all about that silver and black. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So, so when it comes to, you know, basketball, I'm kind of like, you know, it was cool that the Nets were here in Jersey and what have you, but, I was a big Julius Irvin fan when he was back in Long Island in the ABA. Okay. Yeah. So the Nets were cool like that. And then they like, you know, when they, you know, traded or whatever they did, they sold Julius Irvin to the NBA. <laughs> you know what I mean? You had to be, <laughs> he changed the game, you know? Right. But at that same time, you know, I was just loving the game and the Knicks have always been, you know, the Knicks have always been with me from you know the early days when Clyde and Earl, you know, even before Earl came over there. But mm -hmm. I'm really at the end of the day, since 1979, since this man from Michigan State got drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers, I've been rolling with the Los Angeles Lakers proudly since 1979. Okay. Oh man. So 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 back to the Nets, I'm loving being able to watch them every night. We yeah. suffered having to watch the Nets. You know how like you have to watch your home team. Mm -hmm. Like back in the day, my my um my uncle used to be a big Braves fan. He's from Ch uh, Little Mountain, South Carolina. The mm -hmm. Braves was his squad, but all they had was Hank Aaron and, 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 and Dusty Baker. You know what I mean? <laughs> they had you know they wasn't really winning the chips until right. 
you know, later on. So it was kind of rough watching the Braves and they really wasn't winning. You know what I mean? And oh, I know exactly what you mean. Years. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, look, look, Falcons. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know well, what I'm saying? I, I understand that. I have to ask you about this, though, being a Falcons fan, right? You're a Falcons fan, right? I'm a Falcon respecter. Well, you born in you born in Grady Hospital. You better yeah. be a Falcons fan. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm a so, Falcon respecter. So, but 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 didn't you know that y'all was all prepared to go? It was Sunday. Y'all was getting ready to go turn up. Magic City was getting ready to be lit. Yes. And all yes. y'all needed was one quarter to solidify <laughs> this thing. How did you feel? I'm now. I'm gonna interview you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he took me to change for literally, like he changed it up on me. So okay. Well, I had a I had a radio show that day actually, uh-huh. and I told people, I remember this like it was yesterday. I said the final score will be 35-28 New England because I just felt in my spirit. That Atlanta was just gonna drop the ball. Lo Are and behold, serious? yes, yes, yes. I had went against my family. I went against everybody. It was like, oh, you mean to tell me that you ain't gonna go for Atlanta? I am telling you. Did the quarterback have anything to do with it? The quarterback on the Patriots. Is that <laughs> is that why you was feeling like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. I just had a feeling that. Atlanta was not going to hold up. And I know you see the red, white, and black behind me. It looked falconed out up in here. But no, (laughs) I was like 35-28. And so when I was at the house, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's 28 (laughs) to 3. Phone blowing up. Oh, man, you might want to take your radio show down. Now you might want to redo it. I was telling everybody, relax. There's four quarters in a game. Oh, so you have this recorded. Yes. Yes, I recorded it. Okay, I was like, I want to hear, I want to hear, I want to hear that. Send me that link. I'm just I definitely will. Look, I will send you that link. <laughs> I will send okay. you that link. <laughs> All right, so yes, I just yes, yeah, sports. So sports is my thing. And the and the Nets, the Nets, man, they are a pleasure to watch. And KD's not even playing right now. Exactly. That's the crazy part. And yeah. and, and, and and the way Kyrie. Said oh man, to Harden, yo, you the point guard, I'll be the two. Yeah, that's so dope, man. Yeah, and it they is. Got this, they got this cat named Bruce Brown. You know how like you have that dude that used to be on the court balling with y'all, and he just get the job done. Exactly. Bruce, Bruce Brown is giving them that man. Exactly. And he, and he done, what you call it? Um, DeAndre Jordan and got rejuvenated. Now they got you know, Blake. He, he looking like he oh, well. I don't even, we don't even, Blake is a work in progress because I'm good with Jeff Green. You did? True enough. You know? okay. So again, it's, it's cool watching them, you know, what, the, what they're doing. But mm-hmm. uh, at this point, I think, and, and this is the other thing, people, I'm into who? Like, I'm into, I'm into sports, but like when I look at who, right? Yeah. I look at, I'm looking at the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. The Milwaukee Bucks are close, but they're missing something. Uh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I think I know what the what the Bucks are missing. They are missing the player who need a team like the Bucks if he's gonna 
get a chip at any time. All right. Mm-hmm. It, but the only thing is he's going to have to change his game just a little bit to, to, to make this thing work. And the reason I say that, and I'm going to use the Milwaukee Bucks again as the example. Mm-hmm. Back in the early days, back in the days, there was a guy who was a, a, a triple-double machine. His name was Oscar Robertson, uh, the big O they called him, mm-hmm. right? Right. And he could never always the all-star team, always the all-star team, but could never get past well, it was, you know, I think they played the same uh, conference as the Lakers. So it was always the Lakers and the Celtics out of the East. But Oscar Robinson had to figure it out. Know what happened? Right. Mm-hmm. The Milwaukee Bucks drafted a guy out of UCLA named Lou Alcender. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he changed his name to, right? Yes, sir. Soon as he came to the Bucks, their, their record flip-flopped. Didn't mm-hmm. win. The Knicks won the chip this year, but they didn't. They didn't win. But you could see that they were on their way, and they needed a. They needed a missing ingredient, and that was Oscar Robinson, right? Right. He came. He came to the Bucks and paired with a bunch of role players and a star, just like they have a star now with uh, the Greek freak. Right. But in a bunch of role players, Oscar mm-hmm. Robinson just bought his knowledge of the game over there and they want a chip. And I honestly feel that that's what Westbrook need to do. Westbrook <laughs> need to try that out because it ain't going to happen with the Wizards. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to happen. But he has an opportunity if they find a way to get him over there and run that floor because Drew Holiday is a beast. Yes, All he right? is. Yes, and you already is. know that that other kid could shoot the rock. Middleton could shoot the rock. What you call it just runs the floor all game. And, and my man from Seton Hall just came over there on a the sneak tip. I'm trying hey. to tell you about to pull a John Starks. Okay. Miles Powell. Miles <laughs> yes, sir. Powell. Miles Powell just got a contract. <laughs> and watch what happened. Now, remember I said this. Just like uh-huh. you said the Falcons and the Patriots. Yeah. Watch Miles Powell in the NBA. He's going to flip it. I'm going to hold you to that. All right, hold me to it. I definitely will. See, right. I want you to realize exactly what you did. You really put to work the characteristics of a loving leader, meaning that as a historian, you took the knowledge, the previous knowledge that has already been presented beforehand to use that as evidence that your idea will work. And with that being said, is that the type of mindset that you always had as you ventured into the world of comedy? Always, because my life started with music. Mm. I was always about music, but comedy was always a backdrop. All right, because mm. I'm talking about as a toddler, you know, I'm right now I'm curator of comedy at the world famous Apollo Theater. Right. Oh, yeah. But that's where my career started as a four or five year old, bro. Oh, where, wow. where, yeah. My parents used to always frequent the Apollo because my uncle's used to sing over there in the in the 50s. He's mm. in the rock and roll, he's in the rock and roll hall of fame. He's he was in a group called the Platters. Wow. Right? And um he was the lead singer actually and you know my parents fell in love with the Apollo even after my uh, uncle and them started flying all over the world and stuff. My parents would still go over there for the amateur night on Wednesday or the matinee 
on Sunday and then we would stop. I have a bunch of uh, relatives in Harlem. So it was like, you know, that movie Soul Food? Yeah. You know, the show, it was like, that's how I, I grew up living. Like I was part of that whole type of, you know, environment. And at the Apollo, they always had comedians. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw Moms Mabley as a kid, you know. Wow. I, yeah, yeah, I saw Pigmeat Markham, Young Richard Pryor. I saw the I saw Slappy White and Nipsey Russell. Okay, wow. so you know the Godfrey Cambridge, George Kirby, like these are like legends in comedy, and um, it was always in me. Along with you know, I would see the Motown Review or the James Brown Review. You know, I saw David Ruffin five, six times. You dig? Mm. So that was my life. And my mom worked at RCA Records in the royalty department. So, you know, when you just uh, looked at uh, what was, um, uh, One Night in Miami and um, Sam Cooke was featured in the, in the film and he was talking about royalties and things of that nature. Well, Sam Cooke was signed to RCA Records and my mom used to do the royalties for like uh, Mr. Cooke, Elvis Presley, all that and my mom would always bring records home and things like that for me and my brothers so I was always around music and then my brothers they were musicians they had a singing group and stuff but I was the guy that was paying attention to what was going on on the other side Mm. you know I became a DJ instead of the musician I started playing the records yeah I mean I started having the parties for a quarter in my living room you know mom would make some potato salad and some chicken wings you know what I'm saying? And it was crazy. <laughs> I had a I had a I had a little garage in my backyard. We called it tear the roof off the sucker. Okay. Mm. Because we were into, you know, Parliament Funkadelic was like the was what was going on. Oh, and yeah. so so the nickname for the uh garage was called the sucker. And we would like listen to all music out there. That was like if we weren't on the basketball court or the baseball diamond or football field, you could find us in the sucker and not on the corner. You know what I'm oh, saying? That's it was, what's it, up. Was, it was it was pretty it was a pretty dope. That's who Bob Sumner is. You mm. know what I mean? My crew came and they hung out with me. You know, I had my parents were they 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 separated and divorced like when I was like nine, you know, nine, but they still were cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My father never left my life. My father was actually the truant officer at my high school. Imagine that. You know wow. what I'm saying? Yeah. But it, so it was like my mom went to New York every day. My dad was in the afternoon. He was like a barber. He owned a barbershop for years called Hollywood, where mm-hmm. I was basically raised as a I was four years old. My father took me out of preschool and put me in the back of the barbershop. And I was reading the newspapers at four or five years old, fam. Word is bomb because it was a community environment. So all of the OGs who would be coming in from the bar down the street or whatever, getting ready to go on there, you know, get jump on the bus. They were bus drivers. They would all come in and hang out with me and school me. You know, mm. it's crazy how I come up. I come up a little different than most. I really did. I really did. And I, and oh, I appreciate it. I, I grew up in a barbershop next to a bar in one town. And then the other town where I actually lived, my grandfather ran a laundromat next to a bar. So mm. the barbershop and the laundromat is like the community center. Right, right, <laughs> you know right. What I'm saying? And then yeah. the bar, come on now, that's the turn up. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, yeah, 
we could go all day. It's going to all be in my documentary. All of this is going to be in my doc. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I can't wait for it too. <laughs> and <laughs> I can really tell that you are very appreciative of your childhood because with all of that, being around all of those influences and you you can already see exactly what it is that, you know, you was going to be doing in the future as far as like being connected to the music and things well, like that. Am I right? Uh, right and wrong. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I was torn. Mm. I was torn in between that and I went to Seton Hall University. Yes. And when I went to Seton Hall, I went in there thinking I was going to be an elementary school teacher. Oh, wow. early childhood teachers. It's crazy how I dropped I dropped out of daycare, but ended up wanting to be a you know an early childhood <laughs> you know teacher. And, and and but I I saw where they had a great communication department, mm-hmm. a great African American studies department, as well as their education department. But I saw that I could be a teacher without being a teacher. All right, right, All right. And yes, it sir. really all came to came to fruition when I uh, graduated from Seton Hall. I ended up going back to my old high school as yes, a substitute sir. as a substitute teacher. Mm. But I I was there every day doing what I had to do while I was trying to get my what my career was going to be. Hopefully, in entertainment, I was doing that at night. But even while I was at the school, I was helping coaching the basketball team. I was mm. I was almost like a class advisor because I was setting up things like uh, the fact the, the senior class fashion show. Uh, we I started a thing with this uh, teacher, Miss Bolton. We started a thing called the uh, homecoming pageant. We actually opened up had a homecoming for the freshmen through twelfth grade. It's, I mean, just and I played the role of like the uh, Steve Harvey. <laughs> you know, but I but I did but I did get the winner right. <laughs> okay, dude. Yeah. But, but yeah, so that's always been my thing, man. Even in my community, a- after I you know started doing well with Def Jam and everything, right on that same corner where my grandfather's laundromat was, I had a, a big cookout for the community, mm-hmm. free cookout. You know, I do I do a, a, a holiday for Christmas. We do a, a free concert, you know, with nationally known acts coming up to the uh, high school auditorium. And I do that in memory of one of my um, classmates who was a, a former councilman in, in, in town. So, mm. you know, that's where my heart is. I'm all about unity in the community. When John Lewis talked about getting in good trouble, I love right, right. good trouble. I love good trouble. I'm all about good trouble. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I stand in agreement with you on that. But see, we're gonna get into Def Comedy Jam. We're gonna get into Def Jam and all of that. But I want to stay at I want to stay at Seton Hall right quick because I have found out that you hosted a radio show called Mellow Madness. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. sir. Could you tell us about that? Well, I could I could show you more than I could tell you because every Sunday at 3 p.m. I've decided to uh, utilize this same setup that we're on right now. Mm-hmm. I bring back uh, the vibe of Mellow Madness, oh, which, wow. um, which we call it grooving on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. And what I do is I just play jams. I like to play a lot of B, B-side cuts, you mm-hmm. know, 
and then I like to play a lot of alternative music. You know, I might go from Chicago and Steely Dan to Gil Scott Heron or or Blue Magic. <laughs> you know mm. what I'm saying? <laughs> so so that's that's what I get into. But it, it's funny because you know Seton Hall and being on the radio and and being involved in the industry like that got me to you know being Def Comedy Jam and Def Jam Records. You know everything led you know. But but you have to get out there and, 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 and you have to push for it. You have to go for it. It just doesn't happen. You know, I was watching uh, my friend Reggie Hudlin did a great um, documentary uh, on Netflix with uh, called The Black Godfather. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, about, it's about Clarence Avon, you know, and mm-hmm. it was so educational for me because I learned something in that documentary that I had no idea that he had come from the South to Summit, New Jersey, which is like 10 minutes from where I reside, okay? Mm. And he took a job, he was he was out on the, he was grinding and he took a job with a man. And if you watch it, he took a job in 1959 with a man by the name of Teddy Powell, okay? Mm-hmm. In 1980, 81, around that time when I was on the radio at, at WSOU at Seton Hall, mm-hmm. I decided that I was going to do some networking. And, and Teddy Powell was like the big, he was like the Alan Heyman, like the big promoter guy in the tri-state area. And I told him that I have this radio show that I can like help, you know, push what you're doing as well as be like a street team for you and put up, you know, posters and stuff. And I was, I was like Mr. Powell's guy for all, you know, and I'm like saying to myself, what a connect that we both were blessed by having Teddy Powell in our lives. You know what I mean? Wow. And, and, and then there's a, you know, there's a few other, this guy, Chuck Brownlee, Bill Franklin, John Blassingame, Billy Press, like I know who was there. The the, 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 the the Jeffrey twins, these guys was all there for me as I was Greg Smith. These guys was all there while I was, you know, trying to come up. But it was all about, I wasn't asking for no money, but I wanted to sit there and be a PA, a, 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 a personal assistant for Dizzy Gillespie. I actually had the pleasure to work with Mr. Gillespie at, on a show. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the whole thing about, you know, what's going on with my career now, there was definitely a beginning, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm right now I'm, I'm, I'm like probably in the third quarter. Wow. You know? Yeah. Wow. But I'm definitely all that, what you saw in Def Jam 25 and all that, I'm yeah. sitting there going, wait, wait till they get a load of what I got next. And then boom, here comes, <laughs> yeah. Laugh, here comes Laugh Mob. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It is is what it is. So here we are. That's what I'm talking about right there. You know, it's real admirable to see the fact that you still have that drive to say, wait until you see the next thing. How are you able to keep that drive? Like, what is it? What intangible is it that is within you to keep that drive to say, okay, I can't wait to put this next thing out. I can't wait to do that. What makes you stay so innovative? I just feel, I feel no different than how Mr. Stern 
what he did with the NBA. Mm. Seriously, I treat my whole situation no different than being a being involved in sports franchises. Even in, in my selection of comedians and everything, I do it just like it's a lottery. Just like people have spread all over the country, balance everything, and even like the the I, you know everybody's entitled to have a similar idea, right? Right. But who's mm-hmm. gonna do? Who's gonna do it the best? You know. That's why, as we're looking at this reset with stand up comedy, you know, when I look at and, and, and not to be tooting no horns, but everybody see it. Everybody knows my work from, I saw Shannon Sharp interviewing J.B. Smoove and they were talking about the golden age of comedy being, you know, the early nineties or what have you. Man, I got my foot all over that. You know what I'm saying? And I, I know I know how all of that happened. You know, right. it, it, it happened with a formula that I still have, you know? So, so when I, when I look at everything now, I was like, you know what, something needs to happen so people can appreciate what had been done and know mm-hmm. what happened. The damn pandemic shut mm. everything down. Now it's all about being funny again, not your celebrity, unless you already had a Netflix showtime or HBO special. Right. The funniest joke win for Bob Sumner right now, because when you tell me that you a star, half the time I help make you the star. Mm. You did? So I know that it's that next person coming up that's every bit as funny as you, if not funnier. When I first put Bernie on, Bernie had already been in the game for 10, 15 years. But when you first saw him, it was like a fresh face that you never saw, you know? where mm-hmm. you take a Chris Tucker, Chris hadn't been in the game long, but I saw enough of him where he can showcase to a point where then he becomes smoky on Friday. You mm. know what I mean? This right. ain't no coincidence. Tiffany Haddish, when we rebooted Def Jam in 06 and 07, mm-hmm. I put Tiffany on in 07. 07, nobody really, everybody was looking at me kind of like side, like, what are you doing? All I needed was her to get on that stage and showcase, you know, so people right. can see. And she delivered. And ten years later, she's the hottest. She just won a she just won a Grammy for for a comedy album. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Exactly. It's like it's just I just take, I just take chances on a Def Jam twenty five when it opened up. Chappelle was talking about you know I passed on him like three times. <laughs> It was just a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. People would actually ask me, did you really pass on Chappelle three times? No, I put Dave on. He was like 18 years old. Dave was like one of the youngest. Him and Aerie Spears, these guys, I was dealing with them when they were still teens. You know, so this ain't, ain't nothing new about this. And that's why just like the Chicago Bulls and Charles Barkley and Pat Ewing and Akeem and them was like the toast of the town in the 90s. And now you see, you know, LeBron's almost on the way out now. You know what I'm saying? But the league, the league is still happening. And that's how I feel about stand-up. And that's why I feel like a 400-seater is now, no matter how you look at it, a 400-seater is 125 seats. All right? So my thing is, 
I need funny on that stage. Not if you could pack the house because I don't need the 400 no more. Not like that. I just mm. need to have these people entertained because they're going to eat and drink, you know, but it's not about, you know, so-and-so from this movie or that movie. We're going back to the days of stand-up comedy. You did? I want right. to see a sitcom. I want to see a sitcom built off of your stand-up act. That's what mm. it was all about back in the day. Wow. So we can add visionary to who is Bob Sumner as well. <laughs> is it safe to say that? Yeah, yeah I mean, in the thing, and, and, and with me, even with the on the music tip, mm-hmm. okay, you know, all my shows, I try to incorporate live. I try to incorporate something on the music tip because that's where I come from, mm-hmm. even to the point, and I'm, I'm, if you wasn't going to ask this question, I'll say it right now in terms of being innovative, you know, the reason Kid Capri was my DJ on Def Comedy Jam is because when I first started doing these comedy shows in, in, in 1985, I was DJing the comedians on and off the stage because, you know, it used to always be the piano player or, or, or the cymbal and the snare drum in a comedy room. I brought some funk to that piece. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, that whole thing evolved into now everybody got to have a damn DJ. Nobody had a DJ before they saw Kid Capri, you know? So it's a beautiful thing. Innovative is what it is. Straight Uh, up. Straight up. I'm all for it right here. And since we don't... You ever heard of um, uh, Daniel Boone? Yes. Or Davy Crockett? Yes, sir. (laughs) They were pioneers, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I'm a pioneer, son. There you go. Oh, <laughs> no. let me, oh thank you for saying that. Pioneer. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just messing. Mike Epps and Ebony, Mike Epps said, Mike Epps quoted that I was like a Yoda, a Mozart, you know? Yeah. And I mean, this was Mike saying this. It's right there. It, it's written in black and white. And it's crazy because I just do what I do, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I just do whatever, whatever I do, whether it's playing music or putting comedians on stage. You know, I, I mean, back in the day, I, I sold I sold the best weed. You know what I'm saying? I resist that, that I got my card now. I can say that. Hey, okay. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let me take a moment right here to just give you some more roses, because honestly, pioneer visionary. When I watched your interview on Comedy Hype, that's actually what sparked my interest into um, getting this interview right here. Because of the simple fact, yes, because of the simple fact that how your mind is and how it operates when it comes to creation and being creative and capturing the essence of certain things, like you know what it is um, to be funny, what it is to actually you know, capitalize on a moment and you are able to orchestrate a plan to make sure that that moment is perfect for that time right there. I could truly identify with that because as I'm in the creative mode, as I'm doing the works that I'm doing, that same essence and feel that you see your works displaying, that's what I want to have articulated to the audiences. So I got to thank you for taking that uh, step and doing it before me so I can look at somebody and say, okay, he did it. Now, that same blueprint right there, 
Ashton, add some, add your flavor to that blueprint, and boom, that originality will never die. So when people see certain platforms that resemble Deaf Comedy Jam, they're seeing a replica of the foundation that you already set. So I say thank you, sir. And I gotta go ahead and give you flowers right now before we segue into Deaf Comedy Jam. So yeah, I had to go ahead and do that. I, I appreciate that, man. It's funny that you would say, you know, people trying to emulate or, you know, what. Hey, I'm a, I'm a work for hire. I'll produce the show. I'll, <laughs> I'll help produce your show. If you're trying to have the next Deaf Comedy Jam, why yeah. not call the Deaf Comedy Jam producer? Ain't got to call it Deaf Comedy Jam, but the show just has to be because I'm a designer. I'm a producer that's like a, a creative designer uh, and, and it's like customizing. Even when I did the show on Aspire called We Got Next, yes. it, was, uh, it was clean comedy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because everybody that works blue can't necessarily work clean. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And, 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 and what I do is I just stay in my lane and I believe in whatever it is I'm going to do. Because like even with Deaf Comedy Jam, when we first started, we had to like go out on 42nd Street and pull people in to be our audience, wow. you know what I mean? But if you keep, and then the next thing you know, we had um, the lines wrapped around the corner. You know, mm -hmm. when I first started doing comedy at this place in North New Jersey called Terminal D, we were doing jazz and comedy. Jazz night was packed. Comedy might've had like six, seven people. Then as you keep building it, you know, it is what it is. I left that place, I went to another place. I had to build it. Then I, from there, I had a place called the Peppermint that I was turning away 100, 200 people, turning them away every Thursday night. Man. Bill Bellamy was my host. Nobody knew who Bill was at first. Then I had Mike Epps as my host. Nobody knew who Mike was, but you have to stick with these guys and let them work on their craft while you're bringing in, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, what I do, I do it for you guys. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, there's no retirement with with me. I'm today. Well, yesterday was Quincy Jones's birthday. Quincy mm -hmm. Q is still doing the damn thing. That's yeah. what I want to do. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to. You know, I, I I look at Norman Lear. Norman Lear is still doing the damn thing. That's yeah. Who, you know, I built Laugh Mob based off of the model of of Mr. Gordy in Motown. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You take these. You know, you take the artists and you you know you just try to try to make beautiful music. You're definitely orchestrating some beautiful music, sir. So since we are now here in the Def Jam segment, let's just, just talk about what it was like to have so many different personalities grace that platform and how you were able to, you know, manage that. Like, to, you, the floor is yours to just talk about that. The floor is oh, yours for that one. Well, I came up with this. I came up with this plan, um, you know, like I always, you know, everything's not always about putting everything on, on my phone. I keep a, a pad and pen mm -hmm. near me. And, and, and that's how, you know, the whole thing happens. That's how Laugh Mob happened, you know, mm -hmm. just being at night thinking. So one night my mind was somewhere and I have it written right here. It's funny that you would ask me this question because I have it written right here. And this is the whole essence of it all. I wrote, 
I've had the pleasure to play a very significant role in the creation of a groundbreaking stand-up comedy show that helped change lives and the color of comedy forever. Mm. Did you hear what I said? Yes. Change lives and the color of comedy because what I had noticed and, and what led me to, you know, the birth of death, okay? All right, <laughs> we done touched on who is Bob Sumner. Yes. Now we're gonna talk about the birth of death. Yes. The birth of death actually happened on February, I have it right here, that says February the 8th, 1985. Wow. That was really the birth. That was really the birth of death. Although my first, uh, my first pre-production uh, of Death Comedy Jam started in Atlanta when I saw Bernie Mac in August of '91. All right. Wow. But from '85 to '91, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. But really, when I look at it, and that's why I say the documentary is crazy, because in 1985, a childhood friend of mine was trying to be a stand-up comedian. Mm. And I'm like, what the heck? Now, I knew what stand-up was because, you know, I had always been to the Apollo, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And then again, after, you know, Seton Hall, I started working, doing these little volunteering as a PA, doing these concerts and they would have comedians and stuff. But never did I have a friend, like a personal childhood friend who wanted to be a stand up. So here I am trying to get into the business and, you know, I'm doing the DJ thing. And then my boy, Rocky Bryant, who's now on Broadway with the uh, the musical Tina, and he's the drummer now for the average white band. He and wow. I, we was on this mission together, all right? And he mm -hmm. came to Terminal D with me in, in, in 1987 or whenever that was, that was based off of what I'm telling you now. My childhood friend wanted to be a stand-up comedian. So what he would do, is he would go to New York to like catch a rising star, stand up New York, the comic strip. And they would like, like just like they do at the comedy store in LA, you have like a potluck, you get online after the show, you might get on this, that, and the other. It's crazy. And then if you are a brother, you know, the odds are really like what's gonna happen, right? right. So I decided that I was gonna do a show and showcase him as like the host comedian, this, that, and the other. This led me and Rocky to going down to this place on, on the strength of somebody who used to listen to me on the radio, had some friends at, at this place in Newark who was looking to change their place from, it was kind of seedy, you know, doing like mm -hmm. the strip club type thing that really wouldn't work. They wanted to do something else. so. We said, you know, y'all ever thought about doing a comedy, you know, jazz thing? Because North was known for jazz. And then Red Fox, Jackie Gleason, they all used to come over to Clinton Ave and shoot pool in North back in the day. So, mm. you know, comedy and, and, and music was happening. 
So that started that, and that's where I was DJing and this, that, and the other. You know what I mean? So right. that was the beginning of everything. Then I got this job at Def Jam Records. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I'm at Def Jam Records still doing this underground comedy thing back in Jersey, right? At, mm-hmm. the, at the same time, Russell and Stan Lathan decide that they're going to partner and do some comedy projects, some TV projects, so to speak. And the president of the company, Carmen Ashers, knew that I was doing this comedy thing, right? So everything all kind of like intertwined, you know, and they saw that, you know, this, this black comedy thing was happening. And I had already established a lot of relationships over so many years, you know? So we were given a pilot of two shows and I ended up shooting 104. Mm. And I, I went all over the country, like I said, and I treated it just like I was an NBA scout, which I probably would have been if I didn't jump into <laughs> this form of music. Whatever I wanted to do, I was going to do it. You exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me add determined. Because <laughs> you wanted to see this thing. You wanted to see that plan go into full fruition. Am I right? I wanted to take you from the outhouse to the penthouse. There we go. <laughs> so he wanted to see this thing all the way through, yep. all the way through. Now, this is a question just for me. At the start, how did you know that Martin Lawrence was going to be the guy as the first host? What was it about him that you said, okay, this is a new show, uh, something new, something fresh. And with him being the first host, I know that's a lot of pressure. What was it about him that you was like, okay, I can go forward with him and he can usher in this whole new wave? Again, I have a way of being a custom designer. Okay. (laughs) So it's really based on what the project is. Mm -hmm. You tell me what you want to do and and I'm going to make sure that it's done the way you're going to be happy and I'm going to give you your money's worth. All right. And I ain't going, I ain't going to charge you a lot neither. Cause I, I want you to, <laughs> I want you to bring me back. All right. <laughs> so I got you. So, so, so what happened with that was as simple as this, because there's so many different, I, there's so many different stories to so many different things. There's so many different, I didn't hear so many different stories about where did I ain't scared of you mothers you know, when Bernie did, I ain't scared. You know, everybody has their own story. So here's the story, you know, that I can only tell you in reference to the whole Martin thing. Gotcha. All right. We're about to do this new show. Mm -hmm. All right. We don't even know what the name of the show. I'm getting ready to give you some real, I'm getting ready to drop some jewels on you real quick. Hey, that's that's what it's all about. I'm ready for it. All right. So we're about to do this new show. Mm-hmm. We don't know really what it's going to be called. We don't know who's going to host. We don't know if we're going to have an announcer, if we're going to have a DJ. I kind of have an idea who the first comedians are going to be based off of who I already know. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure because this is a national television show, 
I want to make sure that every piece of the country is covered. All right. Even with this uh, pilot, I want to make sure that we cover our bases. So I have to identify the main spots besides New York and LA for stand up, which is simple Chicago, DC, Atlanta. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to pinpoint who I know is going to make things happen. And that's basically how it was going to go down. Now, in terms of we're bringing in a whole nother comedy, like, you know, we've turned into like, you know how people call a cola Coke, even if it's not a Coke, you right. know, right? right? That's what, you know, people be saying Def Jam comics, Def Jam comedians. We never planned on that. That wasn't what it was about because if you saw a Def Comedy Jam, we just gave comedians an opportunity to do their club act on TV because it was uncensored, you know? Mm. But it wasn't always blue comedians. It just felt that way because you could do it like that. But with all that being said, we knew that the show was Def Jam, so it's gonna be hip hop. It's gonna be, it's gonna be fresh, funky fresh. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever you wanna do, you know, we're gonna bring on dances, we're gonna bring on you know, we're going to have a DJ. We don't know who any of this going to be, but we're going to do it. So right. now I, I go around and I'm seeing what's going on. And I also know that out in Los Angeles, there's a hell of a MC at a place called the Comedy Act Theater. Mm. You may have remembered him from Do the Right Thing. All right. Um, in house party, his Rob, name is Robin Harris. Absolutely, yes. Robin, Robin is who we're really considering, you know. Mm. But at the same time, while you know we're still in the in the early stages, the birth of death, Robin passes away, mm. right? So that is like, okay, what happens now, all right? Mm -hmm. In Living Color was hot. Remember the show In Living Color? Yes. So you had In Living Color and you had House Party. Those was like the hot things that was going on within black comedy, right? Mm -hmm. Deaf Comedy Jam is in, in the kitchen still, right? So there's a tribute show, right? And on the bill is all of the In Living Color comedians, you know, the Wayans and all that, and Paul Mooney, all of the comedians who you know. I don't know if Mr. Cooper was on there at the time, but, you know, it was like that time of the of the year. Chris Rock, you didn't really know what I'm getting ready to do. You ain't know none of that, right? Right, so, right. But there was somebody who people, who was on the show that I didn't know he was as funny as he was. But I know one thing, I know who's gonna host Def Comedy Jam if, if he's interested, all right? <laughs> so I'm just, a, nobody know, nobody even cares about me. They just know I do this comedy thing out in Jersey. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm like the other guy at this time. Anybody else got their thing going on? I'm just, that's a whole nother story, all right? Mm -hmm. So 
anyway, I hit up Russell and Stan and like, yo, I think we we got the dude. But at the same time, Russell and Stan ain't really know how powerful he was neither. Mm-hmm. They reached out to Eddie and Arsenio. Seal of approval. Seal of approval. That's kind of wow. how that thing went down. But little did we know that HBO was trying to figure out some projects for him anyway. So this was perfect because, wow. you know, this led to the sitcom. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he was such a pleasure to work with, man. The only thing is the second go round, you know, he was trying to do the sitcom and us. So he was like, really, you know, he was, he was, he was tired. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when yeah. it was showtime, when it was showtime, he delivered it. He was a monster and he really defined what the show was. And then at the same time, they used to have a thing called the Budweiser Superfest. And performing at Madison Square Garden was LL Cool J. He had a, a new album called Mama Said Knock You Out. Mm. And he was there with Babyface. They co-headlined the Budweiser Superfest, right? Mm-hmm. So following the um, show, everybody from Def Jam, you know, we all had our leather sleeve Def Jam jackets and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we all, all going to go down because LL just beat the garden up. You know, we represent, right? Okay, then. So, so right on the West Side Highway, we come in there. And the DJ is up there killing it, right? Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, the DJ's on the mic doing his thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I had already knew about Kid's mixtapes, but I had never really seen Kid like live like that. The last time I met Kid, he was with, uh, uh, um, he was with uh, um, KRS-One. They had mm. come out to Jersey for a show, whatever. And Kid was a cool dude. But then I said, damn, this dude is beating this thing up. And we was trying to figure out who was not just going to be a DJ, but we also was going to need an announcer, too. Mm-hmm. This dude could do both. All right? Yes, sir. And that was the birth of Kid Capri and Martin Lawrence. All right? So oh, we, So we already had that part. But we still didn't know what the name of the show was going to be, nor did I know who was going to be represent the show outside of everybody who I knew. And then I was going down representing the record company down at a thing called Jack the Rapper they used to have in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, Adele Givens had told me because she had come to um, Jersey and New York on the strength of these comedians, Arsenal and Mitchell. It was a duo who had done Def Comedy Jam and they used to do all of the rooms in Jersey and New York. And Adele came and she ripped my spot. And I asked her, is there anybody in Chicago that I that could set up a showcase for me? And she said, my friend Bernie. So I called Bernie and Bernie told me that he could hook me up but he has to go to Atlanta first. And I'm Mm. like, yo, I'm going to Atlanta too because I have to do this thing. He says he's going to be at this place called the Comedy Act Theater. They had one in Atlanta. Before Uptown, there was a Comedy Act Theater in LA and Atlanta. 
When I tell you, Bernie, I called Bill Bellamy up. I said, Bill, I saw the funniest joker I ever saw. And it was Bernie. And Bernie talks about it in his first book. And that was the beginning of the whole Deaf Comedy Jam ride. That was really how it all, and then I just mixed and matched and kept it going for however long it went. Then we stopped, but we kept touring. So I kept doing a contest with Budweiser and D. Ray Davis, Coca Brown, Todd Lynn, um, Kevin Hart, all these comedians, they would have been on Def Jam if we were still on during that time, but they were still like on my tour, you know? And mm. um, I'm just so happy for what it's been able to do for so many people. And I'm still here, man. I'm still here. You know, I have my um, podcast and I'm ready to kick off real soon. And that's going to be incredible because I'm going to capture the essence of where everybody has gone, you know, with their successful careers. And then I'm going to also shine a spotlight on who I think is the rising stars because, you know, the same way I, you know, created Laugh Mob, which is the acronym is more of Bob's best, you know, mm. and the reason I created that was because there was a comedian by the name of Rashid, Uncle Dope. I'm sure you saw the um, Rashid Thurman. He passed away. He did when I produced Diddy Show and Def Jam, he killed it, you know, and he just made me feel like there is the next generation. You know what I'm saying? So wow. I kind of like created Laugh Mob because of him, you know? So I'm determined to make this thing, you know, what, 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 you know, as close to what Def Comedy, you know, that's the other thing, like when people went, you know, they're talking about coming to America and how it's not like the first one and all that. Yo, listen, it don't have to be like the first one to still make a difference in people's lives. You know, as long exactly. as it ain't, as long as it ain't whack and you know, it ain't, it ain't going to be, it's not going to be, they ain't going to stand for it. So, um, that's where I'm at. And again, when people want to, you know, if somebody want to do stand up, you know, if somebody is looking for somebody for a movie, these, all these people that's doing these independent movies, you know, I, all I need is the character breakdown and I can send you somebody that probably will, uh, be the person you're looking for, um, to play whatever role it is. That's what I do. This is, this is the gift that I've been given. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Man. Now that right there, <laughs> just taking all that information in, like literally, first of all, I got to say thank you for creating a platform that got me so many whoopings because I quoted so many lines from the comedians out there. And it really, it really showed me what I really wanted to do, not getting a whooping, but I know for the fact that, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Be someone who provide, who is, who provides a platform for others. So in essence being blessed to be a blessing to others and that right there is inspirational and that segues it to laugh mob and i know that you was already going into it even just a little bit more and i also you know follow you on social media i see how you also are aspiring the younger generation to follow their path in the comedy and things of that nature so just tell us a little bit about that right there <laughs> 